0: If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. This morning we're looking at chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. We've seen that Paul's letter to the Colossians is a short book written to probably a small group of new Christian believers. They had been a church for just five or six years at the most. They were living in a sort of out-of-the-way city that had been uh, declining and overlooked uh, economically, uh, but Paul wrote to them to remind them of who they were as believers in Jesus Christ and what it means to live out, uh, have the life of Jesus Christ dwelling in them and lived out through them. Uh, so there's a powerful message in this, uh, in this short book. Let's read together chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When was the last time that you really dressed up for a special occasion? Uh, Perhaps it was a wedding. I think weddings are probably the most common occasion in our culture where almost everybody uh, makes it a point to wear something out of the ordinary, something bright and festive and colorful. Uh, And if you're in the wedding party, often you have to rent or buy an outfit that you might only wear. On that one day uh, and you may never wear again in your life it's that special uh, wedding sometimes is worth buying an outfit for that day alone now of course not all weddings are so formal and expectations about dress in our culture are much more flexible than they were uh, in perhaps a generation or two ago but people still dress in distinctive ways for all kinds of occasions uh, whether it's funerals Or parades, or plays, or concerts, or military ceremonies, or historical reenactments, or holiday celebrations, or romantic dates, or even ball games. Uh, When I was in college, the weekend before Thanksgiving was the weekend of the big football game. Uh, Now my college did not have a particularly good football team, and nobody really paid attention to them for most of the season, but everybody came out for the last game. On the Saturday before Thanksgiving, or at least they made it to the tailgates in the parking lot, where at least, which were at least as much of an attraction. Um, is my mic going in and out? Yes. yes. Okay. We're going back to this one, and we're going to work on this before we use it again. Um, I made it with a hammer. Uh, so if you like to fix, if if you uh, if you want to help me with fixing it, let me know. Um, uh, where am I? okay so so most we went to this football game so my freshman year my roommates and i decided we would go all in so we bought non-toxic water-based paint and we painted ourselves blue from the waist up uh with a big y in the middle of our chest uh, so we were going to cheer our team on and make our loyalties known fortunately we got lucky with the weather it was like 60 degrees and sunny not like today uh, so we didn't freeze we had a good time we only did that once But why do we dress up in distinctive ways, whether it's for a wedding or a ball game or whatever? Uh, Why do we even care what we wear? Well, whether it's seeking to show our loyalty to a particular team or a particular cause, or to honor a special occasion and the people involved, or to express our individual personality, or simply to protect ourselves against the elements and feel comfortable and warm, the way we dress is an intentional choice. And in this morning's passage, the Apostle Paul uses the metaphor of dressing up as he calls Christians to put on the clothing of Christ, to make intentional choices to live out the character of Christ. If you notice verse 12 and verse 14, the command is put on. Put on then. In verse 14, above all these, put on love. Uh, and if you look up at verse 9, uh, Paul uses the same uh Uh, Word in verse, well, he says in verse 9, he says, you have put off the old self with his practices and have put on the new self. So Paul uses this image of taking off a dirty, stinky set of clothes, sort of our sinful nature, and putting on Jesus Christ himself in his righteousness and glory. Uh, So Paul's teaching us here how to act and speak and live on the outside in accordance with who we've become on the inside. So he's not telling us to fake it, right? Sometimes we try to appear on the outside very differently than we are on the inside. He's telling us, no, live out of who you really are as people who have Christ Jesus dwelling in you. Um, So if verses five to 11 were about taking out the garbage, verses 12 through 17 are about putting on the glory. In the Old Testament, the priests in the temple wore distinctive clothing. Uh, they wore holy garments uh, or special clothes. And Paul is saying, this is the kind of clothing that is fitting for followers of Christ to wear. These virtues, compassion and kindness, humility, meekness, patience, love. Now, verses 12-17 are a bit like a quilt with a bunch of little squares that sort of all contribute to the whole picture. So it's a little challenging to cleanly divide this paragraph into separate sections, but I think there are two main strands that run through these verses, a vertical strand and a horizontal strand. Uh, So I wanna focus on these two strands. Number one, putting on the clothing of Christ means putting on Christ's love for others. That's the focus of verses 12 to 14, the horizontal strand. And then the vertical strand in verses 15 through 17, putting on thanksgiving toward God. So love for others, and thanksgiving to god those uh, are the two themes of our passage this morning uh, as we talk about putting on the character of christ so number one uh, love for others verses 12 to 14. now before paul commands us uh, about how we should love one another he reminds us of how we've been loved by god uh, don't overlook that little phrase That begins verse 12 as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now, if you read in the Old Testament, God described the people of Israel in exactly those words. Uh, So Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 8, God says, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. Now, that word holy simply means set apart for God and his purposes. Uh, Then the next verse says, The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. The Lord set his love. On you holy chosen beloved and over and over god reminded the people of israel i didn't choose you because you were better richer stronger or more righteous than everybody else in the world i chose you just because i loved you and because i have a purpose for you uh, i mean if you think about it that's a good parent's attitude toward their children right every good parent looks at their children and thinks i loved you long before you could say my name or recognize my face. I was looking out for you long before you knew what I was doing. You didn't earn your way into this family. And you don't have, so you don't have to act like you have to earn it. But you were either born or adopted into it. And I will always love you. And the amazing thing is that that is what God says to every person who has come to trust in his son Jesus Christ. God says, I chose you long before you chose me. I loved you long before you loved me. I called you to be holy, even though you were naturally unholy. Now, you see, we didn't naturally possess this status. And we didn't earn this status by our own efforts. No, we received this status because Jesus, who embodied all that the people of Israel were called to be and do because Jesus is the Holy, Chosen, and Beloved One of God, and in Him, we're Holy, Chosen, and Beloved in Him. So if you read the Gospels, Jesus is described as God's Beloved Son, God's Chosen One, the Holy One of God. And now Jesus shares that status with everyone. Not only those who are physically descended from Abraham, but everyone who comes to Him. So that's why Paul could say to the Christians in Colossae, you are God's Chosen Ones, Holy and Beloved. Let me just... Pause there for a moment. If you're a Christian, is that how you think about yourself? As chosen, holy, and beloved of God? You know, maybe you had an earthly father or earthly mother who never said, I love you. But you have a heavenly father who delights in you and who is not ashamed to call you his beloved child. Or maybe you've done evil and shameful things with your body or to other people, but God says in Jesus Christ, you are now called to be holy god has now set you apart for his good purposes no matter what you've done in the past or maybe you've experienced rejection from other people maybe you struggle with a sense of constantly feeling rejected on the inside and echoing the the words or the the actions that you've heard or received from other people but god says no i have chosen you i have not rejected you Is that how you think of yourself, as holy, as chosen, as beloved in Christ? I think sometimes we struggle to obey the commands in the rest of this passage because we're going to see that these commands are challenging to put into practice, right? Forgiving others, forbearing with others, being meek, being humble. We'll get there. But I think sometimes we struggle to obey these commands because we're not firmly grounded in who we are in Christ as his holy, chosen, and beloved people. Right? We're like a baseball batter trying to swing for the fences while wearing sneakers and standing on a slippery sheet of ice. Right? You can swing as hard as you want, but you are not going to get good hits until you can get some traction and some leverage. And the solution is not just try harder to be more loving and more humble, but dig in, plant your feet in who you are in Christ Jesus in God's amazing and unmerited love for you. In Christ we're chosen, holy, and beloved. And as we're rooted and planted in that identity, that's how God called. Then, in light of that, God calls us to put on the distinctive character of Christ Jesus. So in verse 12, Paul gives us a list of five virtues to cultivate. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And if you remember in verses 5 and verse 8, Paul gave us five uh, bad things to get rid of in each of those verses, and now we have five good things to cultivate. Now, in the ancient world, uh, many Greek and Roman philosophers had developed lists of what they called virtues, in other words, sort of good qualities, Uh, and they usually focused on four. Later on, they came to be called the cardinal virtues, Uh, but these four were justice, wisdom, courage, and moderation. So that's how most people in Paul's time would have described a good person. Just, wise, uh, courageous, and moderate, self-controlled. But notice that Paul doesn't just repeat that list here. Paul doesn't just say, Christians should be good people, nice people, according to your own culture standards. Paul calls Christians to live by a higher standard. to display the distinctive character of Jesus Christ Himself. Uh, And in fact, some of these virtues, especially humility, were not seen positively in the ancient Greek and Roman culture. People did not think that being humble and servant-hearted was a positive thing. Uh, They they thought you should only be humble and servant-hearted if if you have to, not because you want to. Um, But think about this, every one of these virtues, in Paul's list, in verse 12, describes Jesus Christ himself. Jesus had compassion. If you read the Gospels, Jesus has compassion on volatile crowds, on marginalized lepers, on distraught parents, on all kinds of troubled and hurting people who came to him seeking help. Jesus had compassion. Uh, Ephesians 2 verse 7 speaks about God's kindness to us in Christ Jesus. In uh, Matthew 11:29, 29, Jesus said, I'm gentle and lowly. These are the same words translated here, meek and humble. Uh, humility and meekness. Jesus says, I'm meek and humble in heart. And if you come to me, you'll find rest for your souls. And Jesus was patient. Oh, he was so patient. With his misguided disciples, with his unbelieving family members, all kinds of people, Jesus was very patient. And so what Paul says here is, what you've seen in Jesus, and what you've received from Jesus, put it on and pass it on. <coughs> put on compassion, a heartfelt concern for other people's troubles. Put on kindness, being thoughtful and generous instead of harsh and rude. Put on humility. It means not so much thinking less of yourself, but certainly thinking of ourselves less, and thinking more about how it can be of benefit to others. Put on meekness. Now, meekness is not weakness, but gentleness. Uh, And finally, put on patience. In other words, uh, take a long-term view. Don't get riled up immediately about everything. And then, verse 14, Paul concludes the list. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So if you take the clothing metaphor, love is like a coat that you put on over everything else. Or perhaps like a belt or a fastener that keeps everything else in place. Sort of puts all these other virtues in perspective. And Jesus said, uh, all the commandments can be reduced to two. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul said in Romans 13, 8, love is the fulfillment of the law. We heard read earlier from 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul talks about the preeminent importance of love. If I have all the spiritual gifts in the world, but I don't have love, it'll all be for naught. Paul says, love is the heart of the Christian virtues. Love is the glue that holds all the rest of them together. Now, for those of us who have grown up in cultures that have been influenced by Christianity, this teaching about the preeminence of love is probably not very surprising. Right? I don't see any shocked expressions on your face when Paul, when I read, above all these put on love. But once again, this was not the common view in the world that Paul was living. In. Many ancient philosophers had discussed the question, what's the glue that holds the virtues together? What's the unity of them? And uh, Plato, a Greek philosopher, said, knowledge. Knowledge is the core of the virtues. That's the key to them all. If you believe the right things, if you... Uh, come to the right intellectual conclusions, then you'll end up doing the right things. Now, if you've spent time with very smart people for long enough, you'll know that that's not quite enough. (laughs) Um, It's not quite that simple. Knowledge isn't the key to everything else, uh, isn't the key to a good life. Uh, The Roman philosopher Cicero said justice is the crowning glory of the virtues. He said the most important thing is to be a just person. But Jesus and Paul said love is the glue that holds the Christian virtues together. Why? Why would they why would Jesus and Paul both say this? Well, because love is at the heart of the very nature of the Christian God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Before God created any of us, before he had a world of people that he could love, there was a communion and fellowship and mutual delight and joy between the Father and Son and Holy Spirit from all eternity. And that love is what motivated Jesus Christ to come into the world after God had created us and then we had completely messed things up. John 3.16 says God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son to die on the cross for our sins so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. You see, it wasn't primarily knowledge or justice that motivated Jesus to come into the world and die on the cross for our sins. Neither of those things would have been sufficient for that. It was love. So Paul says, put on love. Put on that love of Christ that has saved us that we have received, and extend that self-sacrificial love to others. You know, verse 13 sort of shows us some practical ways that this can be worked out. Through bearing with one another and forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. You see, Paul is realistic. Paul knew that in any community, including any christian community people will sometimes be immature annoying disorganized thoughtless and otherwise difficult to deal with misunderstandings and offenses will inevitably happen but paul says that gives us an opportunity to live out these christian virtues Uh, dietrich bonhoeffer wrote a wonderful little book about christian community he was a german pastor and theologian who uh was very uh, faithful during world war ii he ended up uh, being executed in a nazi concentration camp at the age of 39 but he wrote some wonderful books and uh, he wrote one book about christian community called life together and he has one chapter in that book called ministry and you might think okay what's he going to talk about when he talks about christian ministry think well he's probably going to talk about teaching, preaching, leadership, maybe singing, maybe healing, sort of other things that we think of as ministries. but look guess how this chapter the chapter starts. Here are the chapter headings. First one, the ministry of holding one's tongue. <laughs> he says, often we combat our evil thoughts most effectively if we refuse to express them in words except as a confession of our sin. Second ministry, the ministry of listening. Just as love to God begins with listening to his word, the beginning of love for our brothers and sisters is learning to listen to them. Listening can be a greater service than speaking. He goes on to talk about the ministry of helpfulness and the ministry of meekness, and then he gets to the ministry of bearing. And it's it's worth reading. It's a wonderful section, but he talks about bearing with people's individuality including their weaknesses and oddities and everything that produces frictions, conflicts, and collisions among us. And then he talks about bearing with people's sin and how it affects us and causes pain to others. And he says, the only way we can exercise this ministry of bearing with one another is to know that Jesus Christ is bearing with us. The Bible says that he bore our griefs and our sorrows and that he bore our sins in his body on the cross. You see, it says Jesus loves us despite all of our flaws. And only after all of those ministries, holding one's tongue, listening, meekness, helpfulness, bearing, then he gets to proclaiming God's word and exercising authority in the community of God's people. Now, some people have read these verses, verses 12 to 14, and worried Are these verses telling me to be a doormat, just to let others stomp on me, take advantage of me, and do nothing to protect myself? That's a reasonable question to ask. The answer is no. If you look just a few verses later, down in verse 16, Paul says that Christians should teach and admonish one another. Now that word admonish means to confront or challenge or rebuke. So Jesus Jesus said in Luke 17, verse 3, If your brother or sister sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. So bearing with each other and forgiving each other doesn't mean sweeping all the problems under the rug, pretending they're not real, never confronting everyone, never challenging anyone. It sometimes means having the courage to initiate uncomfortable conversations. Christian love is not the same thing as just being permissive and passive. That's not what Christian love is. It's not what Paul's calling us to. You see, putting on all these virtues actually requires great strength. Sort of like being a ballet dancer. Right, the first time you see a ballet dancer, you're probably impressed by how graceful and gentle and self-controlled they are. But is a ballet dancer a weak pushover? No way! Ballet dancers go through intense training to develop core strength and muscle strength. That's how they can throw each other up in the air and catch each other like nothing happened. That's how they can maintain their balance when the rest of us would fall down and flop. You see, we need the strength of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit dwelling within us in order to put on these virtues and continue to seek to live them out even in hard and complex and difficult situations. So that's the first way we're to put on the clothing of Christ, put on his love for others. But second, Paul reminds us to put on thanksgiving toward God, verse 15 through 17. Now verses 15 through 17 cover a lot of ground. Uh, Verse 15 focuses on Christian relationships, uh, about the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts and among us as a body of Christ. Verse 16 focuses on Christian gatherings or worship services. Uh, Verse 17 focuses on Christian living. It's the broadest verse of them all, whatever you do. But if you notice in all these verses, They all mention thanksgiving. Verse 15, the last little sentence at the end of the verse, and be thankful. Verse 16, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You know, Colossians is not a very long book, but Paul repeatedly emphasizes this theme of thanksgiving. It's seven times in the whole book, three times here in these verses. Back in the 16th century, uh, some people um, wrote a summary of Christian belief and practice called the Heidelberg Catechism. And the Heidelberg Catechism basically summarizes the Christian life in three words. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. In other words, to be a Christian means to admit that we are sinners, that we're guilty before God.
1: It means to trust in the grace of Jesus Christ.
0: That He paid the price for our sins, and through Him we can receive forgiveness and new life. And third, it means to live a life of gratitude in response to all of that. It's a great three-word summary of the Christian life: guilt, grace, gratitude. But Paul says gratitude or thanksgiving should infuse every part of the Christian life. It should, it's like oil that keeps the engine running smoothly. Uh, so, verse 15. Thanksgiving promotes healthy Christian relationships as we seek to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts and among us in the body of Christ. Paul reminds us to be thankful. What is? What? Why? Well, thankful people tend to be peaceful people. right? Ungrateful people tend to be disruptive and divisive. You know, for regularly thanking God for every good and perfect gift that comes from above and for every spiritual blessing that we have in Jesus Christ, That will help us. That will give us strength to pursue peace and righteousness with one another. Thankfulness promotes healthy Christian relationships. Thanksgiving also promotes vibrant Christian gatherings. In verse 16, uh, verse 16 gives us a little picture of a lively Christian gathering. Uh, Rich teaching from God's Word, going in-depth and not just skimming the surface, mutual sharing of insight and counsel. There's not just one person who's teaching everybody else, and everybody else uh, just listens and walks away, but people are actively engaged together in studying the Bible, discussing it together, sharing insights with one another, uh, joyful singing of a variety of different kinds of songs, and all of this is with thankfulness in our hearts to God. You know i think it makes it makes a difference to be part of a church where people are genuinely grateful to be there right people aren't just passively watching a performance uh, or just coming out of mere obligation and waiting for the service to be over so they can run away as fast as possible right where people really want to be there i mean you can you can notice that when you walk into a church right it's good to see when it, it's good to see uh, many ways that people genuinely want to be here and to be with one another and to be in the presence of God right that's an expression of thanksgiving of gratitude uh, for who God is and for the opportunity he's given us to come together uh, and thank him so Thanksgiving promotes Healthy Christian relationships, it promotes vibrant Christian gatherings, and finally, it promotes faithful Christian living. Verse 17, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, In the next few paragraphs, which we'll look at over the next couple of weeks, Paul focuses on how we can live a life of thanksgiving to God uh, in our families, in our workplaces, and in our interactions with people outside the church. But this is where it starts. The focus of verses 12 to 17 is on the body of Christ. The church gathered together. Uh, So let me challenge us as believers in Christ, not just because it's the Thanksgiving holiday week and this passage just happened to come up uh, at an appropriate seasonal time, um, but let me challenge us, make Thanksgiving a regular and intentional habit in our lives. Put on the clothing of Thanksgiving every day. Take time to thank the Lord. Sometimes it's helpful to make a list of what can I be thankful to the Lord for. It it can help to adjust our perspective. Um, To look back on the past week, even doing it once a week, and just looking back on the past week and saying, what can I be thankful to the Lord for? It's It's a good thing to do. Now, so far in this sermon, I've been speaking mostly to all of us who are already Christians, who are followers of Christ. But before I conclude, let me say a few words to you if you don't believe in the Christian God, or if you're still sort of exploring Christianity. Uh, in many ways, Thanksgiving is a great holiday because everyone can participate. People of all religious faiths or no religious faith can agree that feeling and expressing gratitude is a good and healthy thing. Uh, You can find psychological studies uh, that affirm that practicing gratitude makes for a happier and healthier life. Uh, We can all take time this week uh, to thank people who have made a difference in our lives for good. But the practice of thanksgiving also raises a deeper question. You know, If you don't believe uh, in the Christian God, in a personal God who made the universe and holds it all together, where do you direct your feelings of gratitude? Ultimately, not only to other people, but, say, when you feel overwhelmingly lucky to be alive or privileged beyond what you've deserved or rescued from a seemingly impossible predicament or awakened to beauty and love and the mysteries of human life, who do you thank? I mean, don't we intuitively want to thank someone rather than just feeling grateful for the random variations of the universe? Our feelings of gratitude point us to someone whose wisdom astounds us and whose kindness beckons us. And that's who the Bible speaks about. The infinitely wise God who made us for himself. And the Bible says that God's kindness, the many gifts that all of us receive, whether we acknowledge them as coming from God or not, is intended to lead us toward repentance. In other words, to look beyond ourselves and turn to the God who made us. And the God who sent his son Jesus Christ in the world to bring us to himself. And so that we can give him the thanks that he rightly deserves. So as we celebrate Thanksgiving this week, let me challenge you to think about that question. Who do you think? And consider it an invitation to begin a relationship with the God who the Bible speaks about. So brothers and sisters in Christ, let's put on the clothing of Christ. Let's put on love for one another. Let's put on thanksgiving toward God. And as we do that, as we seek to live out these qualities in a fallen and broken world, we're offering the world a taste of what eternity with God will look like. You see, you could think of all of this as a dress rehearsal. Clothing ourselves with the qualities of Christ with love for others, with thanksgiving toward God. That's exactly what eternity with Jesus is going to be like. A world of perfect love and a world of joyful and unending praise to the God who made us and loves us. So let's pray and let's pray that we would be people who would be looking forward to that. God, we thank you. Thank you that in Jesus Christ we are holy, beloved, chosen in you. We pray that you would help us to put on the character of Christ. To stand amazed at your great love for us. Lord, strengthen us to uh, seek to live out these qualities in hard situations where we come to the end of ourselves and we realize that This is not something we can just do in our own strength, but we need your spirit dwelling in us. We need your wisdom to guide us. We need your love to uphold us. We pray that we would be ambassadors of your love in this world. We pray that we would be looking forward to the day when we would see you face to face and practicing, rehearsing, uh, living lives that anticipate that great day. Pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand if you're able for our closing hymn My Savior's Love, hymn number 105. We'll sing verses 1, 2, 4, and 5.